Hey everybody, welcome into this edition of the First Baptist Big Spring Podcast. Glad you've joined us today. We're going to be taking a look at Pastor Mark's sermon from just a couple of days ago, September the 6th. And we are going to walk back through that. John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. The title of the sermon was Satisfied. And as is our typical format, I will hit just a few of the highlights, but I like to take one portion of the sermon and dive into that just a little bit deeper. And that's what we're going to do today. Focus of today's podcast is going to be the exclusive nature of Christ, the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. And we're going to examine that from a biblical point of view. I'll point you to a couple of resources and just invite you to participate in the discussion. I would love to hear from you on this topic. Maybe you've got a few questions. Maybe some things pop into your head as we walk through a couple of the passages of Scripture. I would love to hear from you. My email address is admin at fbcbigspring.org. That's admin, A-D-M-I-N, at F-B-C, as in First Baptist Church, bigspring.org. You can send me questions, comments, complaints, whatever you feel like. And I'll do my very best to get back to you in a timely manner on that. We'd love to get some feedback. Just by way of announcement for the podcast, if you were with us last week, late in the week, the Thursday edition of the podcast, we started a new series on interpreting your Bible, how to read it, how to understand different aspects of the Bible, proper interpretation. We looked at the idea of hermeneutics. And so that was the intro session. We're going to be doing at least three more weeks of the Thursday edition of the podcast on Bible interpretation. And we're going to start that this week when we take a look at Old Testament narratives and history books. How do we read those passages of Scripture correctly? How can we have a more clear understanding of them? And so if you have not already listened to that episode last Thursday, on biblical interpretation. I would encourage you to go back and read that and then join in this week on Thursday, September the 10th, where we jump into Old Testament narrative and history books. But let's go ahead and dive in today. Pastor Mark was in John chapter 7, and he was reading from primarily verses 37 through 39. So I would like to take the opportunity to read that again. It's a fairly short passage today. So John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit has not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Mark talked about this idea of satisfaction, coming to Jesus, and the fact that you can only come through Jesus. Jesus, and he he said this, Mark said this, he said, Jesus not only knows the answer, Jesus is the answer. I don't know about you, but there have been many times in my life where I've been personally had a situation like that or I've witnessed others where I have a question, I have a problem, I have an issue, 
that is in my life that has come up. And naturally, when there's a problem, when there's a question, when there's an issue, what we want as humans is we want the answer. We want to know what to do, right? We want to know how to fix the problem. I don't know how many of you in the audience are married, married men. When your wives have a problem, when your wives have an issue, when your wives are upset with you, as a man, our natural response is to want to fix the problem. We want to fix it. We want to correct it. We want to make it right. We want to dig ourselves out of a hole. We want to correct the wrong that we've committed. We want to fix the situation in which our wives find themselves. But many times, and if you're married for more than six days, I would say you have experienced this. Sometimes fixing the problem isn't actually what needs to happen at that point. I myself, I know I'm guilty of this. I see a problem. I want to fix it. I don't want to go to sleep before the problem is remedied. And sometimes that's not how it works. Sometimes we just need to be there. Sometimes we need to just sit, keep our mouths shut. Sometimes we fail at that. Sometimes when Jesus not only knows the answer, Jesus is the answer, we have a tendency to want to fix the problem, to go to Jesus, fix it now, hurry up. I, I want to want to take care of this. God, what do I need to do? And many times Jesus is just sitting there saying, I'm the answer to the problem. If you just give all your problems over to me, give it up. Quit trying to fix it and just come to me. We're told in Scripture, come to me all who are weary, tired, you need rest. You can rest in Jesus. That's my paraphrase of that, that passage. But we, we see the idea there. And Jesus here says, come to me. He says, come. He cries out, it says. If he's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, and he's referencing other passages of Scripture, you get the living water out of this. And so Jesus not only knows the problem, he knows the answer. Jesus is the answer. And he says, it is me. It is me. So let's, let's look at this idea of the exclusive nature of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus, and is he actually exclusive? I'm going to go ahead and give you the answer to my question. Yes, he is. So I want to give you a few passages of Scripture that talk about that. One that we have already looked at in this series in John, and one we will be getting to eventually. John chapter 3. Actually, we're going to two that we've already looked at. John chapter 3 and verse 16. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So you must believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. That's an exclusive claim, to believe in him, to believe in Jesus. John chapter 3 and verse 36, we've already looked at this as well. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That is a blunt verse of Scripture. It is exclusively a verse that says Jesus is who he says he is, and if you believe in him, you'll have eternal life and you'll see life. But if you don't, you won't. Now, we haven't got to this one yet. I know Mark's going to get there eventually. I don't know when. We're going to get to John chapter 14. I have faith we will. John chapter 14, verse 6, another familiar text. Jesus says to him, I am the way and the truth 
and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is exclusively Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It does not say one of the ways. One of the paths for truth. None of that. One of the opportunities for he is the way, the truth, and the life. That is exclusive. That speaks to the exclusive nature of Jesus Christ. Let me give you just a few others quickly. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. Speaking of Jesus, there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Mark has referenced that in the past bit here in this series as well. Acts chapter 10, verses, verse number 43. Them all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name, speaking of Jesus again. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Romans 3.22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. And John 17.3, we'll get there in this series someday. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. All of those texts speak to the exclusive nature of Jesus. There is no other way. There is no other way to the Father except through Christ the Son. And so what does this mean for us? If you are a believer today, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're there. You're not done, but you're there. Let me explain what I'm talking about. The moment you enter salvation with Christ Jesus, you place your faith and trust in him, you confess your sins, ask forgiveness, you are saved, but you are not done. It is the process that we now refer to as sanctification, looking more and more like Jesus every day. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that, we, that, that good works have been prepared for us in advance to do right after we're told of how to be saved. And so we've got these things to do. We're going to look more and more like Jesus every day, right? So Jesus is the only Savior. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. Christ alone is the only one that falls into that category. We spent a lot of time in John chapter 1 and verse 1 where we looked at that. Only Christ lived a sinless life. Only Christ died a penal substitutionary death on the cross for our sins to make a way for us. Only Christ rose again. Pastor Mark this past Sunday talked about there's no place on earth where you can go and visit the burial site of Jesus, where Jesus still is, because there is no body. He rose again on the third day. He triumphed over death and sin. And so Christ alone qualifies as Savior. Christ alone is Savior. But it takes faith. Jesus is teaching, shows us and the nations that we need to be that we need to hear and we need to repent and we need to be saved. Paul teaches that everyone can be saved, even the Jews. Everyone must place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's not to say that everyone will, but everyone can be saved. Whoever, whoever from John 3, 16. 
And we see through the story of Cornelius in Acts that the Gentiles can be saved as well. And so it doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter your religious upbringing, doesn't matter your nationality. All who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ can be saved. And so where does that leave us today? Where do we go from here in understanding this doctrine, this idea of the exclusivity of Jesus Christ? So here's where, here's where I want to go with this idea. Is Christ exclusive? And I believe he is. What are some of the objections that people raise? found a tremendously helpful article by a, a guy named John Wood. I'll link it in the description of this podcast. John Wood is at Cedarville University, or was several years ago. And he says that there are five categories of objections to the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. Five, five objections. And so I want to walk through those really quickly, and I want to use his article to talk about that and love some feedback on that. And I agree with these, by the way. Just get out front of that and, and say I, I, I agree with each and every one of these. There, this is a Cedarville is a Southern Baptist university, and the article there is is excellent, so I would recommend it. He says this about the different objections that people have to the exclusive nature of Jesus Christ that I believe that Scripture teaches, and I believe we laid it out here as we have been looking at the book of John. The, the first one he lists is the fairness objection. This is the argument that it's not fair for those that have never heard of Jesus Christ that they're not going to be saved. They're not going to be saved. David Platt describes this in a very famous sermon and illustration about what about the innocent guy in Africa. And he goes on to say, well, there is no innocent guy in Africa. So he's not going to be saved because he's not innocent. That, that says that, that feels nice and it feels good, but he's not innocent. He's committed sins just like the rest of us have. And so the response to that is, is it fair according to whose standard of justice? Who gets to pick that? Well, God created the whole world, and he set the system up. And so it, it's God that gets to decide that. The unfairness, he, go, he says, the unfairness is that salvation for all the nations has been extended to a humanity that is not entitled to it. We don't deserve it. None of us deserve salvation. It's only by God's grace and goodness that we get it. We deserve hell. And so those that benefit from salvation, those that accept Jesus Christ, we're the ones that are the exception to that. We don't deserve it, but we receive it. The second objection he lists is the universalism objection. This is the teaching that says, you know, all religions basically teach the same thing. Be a good person, treat other people well, and seek God. And, and all of those roads are going to lead somewhere. And as long as you sincerely believe it, then God's going to reward that at the end. The problem with that is it's completely counter to Scripture. If you were to go out on the street today and ask people one question, what do you think it takes to get to heaven? 
you would get a variety of answers, but I have a strong, strong suspicion that if you were to interview 10 people on the streets of Big Spring tonight and you asked them, what does it take to get to heaven? They would give you some form of be a good person, go to church, treat other people well, do more good than you do bad. You would get that from the majority of people that you asked. Jesus is exclusive. Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 11 teaches that. Jesus is the only one that's sovereign over all false gods. Third objection, he says, is the inclusivism objection. That's a hard word to say. The objection is that salvation is made possible by Jesus Christ, but he's provided other ways for people to get salvation. Well, that's completely contradictory. If it's only made possible by Jesus Christ, there is no other way, right? Hebrews 9, 27, it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. There is no other way. The lost person seeking after God is, is not one who is saved apart from Christ. You're saved by the offering of the salvation gift of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one that's exalted. He's the one taught throughout Scripture. And we are faced with the choice of whether to accept the salvation offered by Christ Jesus or not. You, you don't get eventually saved because something worked out for you. It's not inclusive. It's exclusive. Fourthly, you get the judgmental objection. And the objection there uh, attacks Christians for being judgmental to think they have the only answer about God and salvation. And it's very close-minded of a Christian to think a majority of the world is going to hell because they don't believe in Jesus Christ, especially when so many haven't heard about him. That goes back to the fairness objection that we talked about. We don't intend any judgment on anyone. God does. We are here on earth to proclaim Jesus' name. I spent a couple of summers working in southern Alberta as a missionary. One of those summers, I served primarily in a, in a town that was about 98% Mormon. Uh, Mormon religion believes a lot of things that are anti-biblical. Don't have time to go into all of those today. But they believe in a multi, multi-level heaven structure where... Basically, there, there's not really any hell. There's just different levels of heaven. And the first level is, well, you're not with God, but it's not so bad. And this is my oversimplification. The second level is for devout believers in other religions, such as Christianity. And they're going to be there. But to get to the third level, to enjoy full glory, to become your own God, basically, you have to be a Mormon and follow the teachings of Joseph Smith uh, to the, and do all the right things in that way. And that's what they teach. So here's the setup. Here, here's how that works. I'm a Southern Baptist. I believe that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ, as we've talked about here in today's podcast and in others. And that all those that do not believe that or they believe in something differently are destined for a life separated from God in hell. That's what I believe. I believe the Bible teaches that. We've laid that out with some of the scriptures from today, talking about the exclusive nature of Jesus. But according to a Mormon, I'm okay. I'm just not going to get to the highest degree of glory, the third level, if you will. But I'm going to be okay. I'm not going to be separated from God. I'm not going to be put in, put in hell. 
I'm just not going to quite be in such a great place that the devout Mormon is going to be. But look at it from my perspective towards a Mormon. If they're right, which scripture I believe teaches they're not, but if they are, I'm okay. I'll end up in the second level, won't enjoy the full benefits, still get a little hangout time with God, but I'm okay. But if I'm right, if what I believe is correct, which I believe the Bible teaches the exclusive nature of Jesus Christ, their destination is an eternity separated from God. And it isn't because God is mean. It's because God gets to do that because he is God. I told that to a couple of Mormon missionaries. It was not well received. They brought in the higher up in the Mormon church, and he proceeded to explain it to me again. And I asked him the same question, and he got upset, even though I was kind. And I told him I wasn't mad at him. I just wanted him to go to heaven. And I didn't believe he would if he continued in that belief and that religion. As a believer, as a Christian, you have to tell people the truth, even if it's unpopular. So you're not being judgmental. You're presenting the facts of God. Now, you can be a jerk about it, and you can claim to know more than everybody else. And it may be technically true, but you need to stop being a jerk about it. This is just my opinion. You don't have to be a jerk to tell somebody about Jesus. You can present the biblical truth in a loving way while loving other people that believe vastly different things and still present the truth of, of Scripture. Those Mormon missionaries I talked about, I spent three months listening to everything that they had to say and having good conversations with them before I got to the point where I told them what I said to you a few minutes ago. You don't walk out on the street and, and, and do that. Nobody wants to hear that. They need to hear about how much Jesus loves them first. Don't shy away from the truth, but don't be a jerk. Finally, the agnostic objection. Nobody really knows. We don't know what's going to happen. Who can say that they know what's going to happen? Hey, we'll figure it out later, right? We don't know about God enough in order to provide a concrete answer as to what's going to happen. And this past, this objection does not take Scripture seriously. And to not take Scripture seriously is a giant mistake. Ephesians 2 describes you as being dead, children of wrath, if you don't respond to Scripture in the way that it teaches. Even an agnostic will say, you know, I don't know everything. And you can say back to them, well, well, I'm not saying I know everything, but I'm saying Scripture lays it out in this way. And what if it's correct? The point we need to get across today is to not dive into the, the nitty-gritty of all these different objections. The point of a believer is to share their faith with other people. And the way you do that most effectively is through the Word of God. We don't have any great things to say. We've simply been given the invitation and the ability to share our faith with other people. We can't say it any better than God's already said it in His Word. There's really no need for us to be inventing new ways to 
tell scripture. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm all about creative ways to present the gospel, but it needs to present the gospel, not just be some thing that we think it's going to work. Bible apps, great example. A few years ago, someone asked me, what do you think about all the teenagers not even having a printed Bible anymore? Don't you think that's a terrible thing? They don't even know how to open up a Bible anymore. They just pull out their phones. I'm old enough to remember free smartphone and having a Bible, and I still have multiple copies of the printed Word of God, but I have it on my phone and my iPad and a couple other electronic devices as well. But I'm old enough to remember when that wasn't a thing. And I, I kindly and gently answered that question back. Don't you think that it's awesome that almost every teenager in our church has their Bible with them 24 hours a day? You see, the, the device, the technology, the ability to get the information about Scripture, that's not the issue. Video presentation of the gospel, Bibles on our phones, modern technology working its way into our lives. It's not the issue. The issue is we need to present Scripture, tell other people about Jesus, and invite them to believe. Be the messenger for Christ. Do his work. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for today, the ability to open up your word and to examine the book of John. What a tremendous, tremendous opportunity for us to examine that. God, thank you for the time today. We love you and praise you. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining me today. I apologize if I went long. I had to break this up into a couple of segments, and I don't even know how long it is. I invite you to join me on Thursday for part two of our biblical interpretation and hermeneutic stuff, where we talk about Old Testament narrative and history. Thanks. Have a great afternoon.